All right, Zig coming in on top. Today on the show, we have Tara Gina Caspro, also known as Sweaty Lamar, um, a singer-songwriter out of Hoboken, New Jersey, in Philadelphia, PA. Spends her time going between the two. Um, her musical journey was a bit backwards. She spent her time, uh, at least at the beginning, as kind of a supporting role, and like it spent her time doing internships and agencies and press agents and talent booking and venues and learned like all the inside stuff first. And uh, usually it's it's the opposite way. You're like, how do I make these sounds? And then when it gets to anything near that, you're like, I don't want to send emails. So uh, uh, Tara's a pro. And this was a really, really fun conversation. I learned a lot, and uh, I think we became fast friends. This was great. She has a new single out called Mysteries under the name Sweaty Lamar. We're going to check that song out. No one's ever sweat their palms for me before. No one ever volunteered to drive halfway. Chasing came and following them out my door Cutting them in song to not beg them to stay I ran through hope like a sneaker stomps ribbon To no cheers, trampled cups But I had forgiven myself and resigned but if I couldn't know love, I could at least know everything. I thought I had it all figured out. Wonderment in flames, always for the bereft. But I couldn't be happier to be wrong. If a hand I don't believe in Has some mysteries left I'm in the disposal for my grandmother's ring Did she see us fall asleep Holding hands last night Took a minute to tell her With his head in the sink but yes, I know that's how you slept With your husband till he died Left hearts in the raindrops on my windshield I giggled like a cursing kid Bringing joy in from the storm I have never considered But I didn't know a lot of things he did I ran through hope like a sick bed prayer Let it go into the night And bequeath the despair of myself and resign But if I couldn't know love I could at least know everything I thought I had it all figured out state of wonder always for the bereft but I couldn't be happier to be wrong I'm a miserable heathen but there are mysteries left little fireworks 
phantom cross that's in the backyard It's all I wanted No flayed fingers on the sparks Fewer singed eyelashes, fewer migraine plumes Hope was laughter I had heard from the Something that can stay I didn't know I could still feel this way I thought I had it all figured out And a moment of wonder Always for the bereft But I couldn't be happier to be wrong Looked askance and tried to thank you Mysteries by Sway Lamar, out now on all stream platforms. Um, in April, there's going to be more. There's an EP called A Little Bit of C-U-N-T-R-Y, A Little Bit of Rock and Roll, and it's a mix of those two genres. And uh, we get into the stories and songs that are going to be on that in the in the interview, and um, it's it's really th- it's really like well thought out. She's got a lot of cool narratives in it, and I'll, uh, you guys will just hear that when we get to it. Um, but yeah, this was uh, like talking with Tara was really cool because it was a different insight. And like, what's amazing is what you just heard. She's only been doing she's only been doing music for two years, right? But before we get to that conversation, if you can like, rate, review, subscribe to uh, one of the podcast platforms to support the podcast, that helps me keep talking to cool guests and sharing their insights with you. All right, now we're going to get into it. Here's me and uh, Tara. I had listened to, I think, Glenn Morrow's episode. Oh, okay. Nice. I've known Glenn for a million and a half years, so. Nice. And then I think you just had Avery Mandeville on, if I'm not mistaken. I did. I'd, I've had yeah. I've, I've done two with her. Um, yeah, I love Avery. So she's I'm, so cool. <laughs> Avery fucking rules. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so you just known Glenn forever, like? Yes, I was. I was Glenn's intern in 2009. At so Bar that's Nine? how long ago. Yes. Oh, okay. All right. I can't like. All right. We're, we're rolling with it now. By the way. Um. Yeah. Um. I I I've been trying to dive into. Where to start with you? Because you you do so many things, like yeah, I'm, I'm a busy little bee, <laughs> which is awesome. But Thanks. like, uh, uh, I know I know music's fairly new, but uh, what like so you're interning with Glenn? Is that to like learn how the how that was that for school? What that how that come about? Sure. When I was in high school, I had realized that I wanted to go into music management or the music business in some way. Uh, I used to run shows at the Maywood Senior Center, uh, you know, putting on some shows, probably the only band that came out of that that you might know is Prawn. If not, check out Prawn. They're they're my buds and they're wonderful. Uh, So I was really involved in that. I think I had wanted to be an artist manager. And so our high school had majors and then we had to do an internship on Wednesdays. So I wound up coordinating that. Uh, I was a law and justice major of all things. And I was like, okay, but I know I'm going to go into music. So 
I called bar none. I probably spoke to Glenn and said, Hey, do you need an intern? I'll come demo CDs for you. I'll do whatever you need. And he was like, yeah, sure. Come on Wednesdays. <laughs> so awesome. once a week, every Wednesday, I would drive into Hoboken uh, and I would go work at Bar None. And I had a, a great, great experience. And I'm, you know, I'm still friends with Glenn and Mark to this day. Very cool. It, like, so wait, you had a major in high school? Yeah, my high what? school. I went to... I went to Bergen Tech in Teterboro. Uh, okay. They do require majors for their students, but I think it's wonderful. I think every high school should have a vocational program so you don't spend a ton of money at college and then hate your major and then change your major five times. Uh, I was a law and justice major. My high school offered, you know, culinary, automotive, uh, your things that feel, I guess, blue collar and then also white collar, like IT, business, our sister school has a pre-med major. I know that for sure. They also have a theater major for some reason. But yeah, my high school uh, offered major still does to this day. And yeah, it was, a, it was a great experience. I went through like three or four careers by the time I turned 18 and graduated. So I wasted no time going through college. That's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. That's it super, was great. Yeah, that's super badass. Like, um at my school, they had a vocational uh, uh, school, but it wasn't like it wasn't like that. You signed up for one, and you kind of got the that was it. And like, sure. uh, wow, that's super cool. Okay, yeah. Especially uh, it seems like you you seem like a go getter. Like you seem to like be into like a million things and trying things out. So like to have that like kind of like to be in that headset at that age, and like the or the mindset to be in that mindset and have the access to it at that age. That's awesome. It was great. And my high school like made me who I am. I was, you know, I was this depressed little like cutter kid in high school, but I will say high school looking back was the best decision I could have ever made for myself. Uh, we were very musical as a high school. I always call it rock and roll high school. We had a lot of young teachers who were in bands and oh, we would cool. come into class and they would be playing. They might be giants or doves like I was exposed to so much music. It's basically Dead Poets Society every day, you know. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, we watched Pulp Fiction in my my intro to film class. That was the first time I saw Pulp Fiction, like, sitting in a room in my high school. Uh, and we had a lot of concerts. So we would do these sort of coffee night coffee shop style concerts in our commons after school hours you'd have your parents like drop you off back at school and we would do themes so sometimes it was all like dead artists and wanting to uphold their legacy sometimes it was a little open mic situation um we did sounds for hope which were these benefit concerts every year we would pick a charity and raise money through the concert to donate uh the one year I remember was we had watched Sicko, the Michael Moore documentary, in my film class. <laughs> and then we ran into uh, my teacher, Geb Zerberg, like the king, ran into one of the guys who was interviewed in the documentary at a pizza shop in Jersey. <laughs> And was like, hey, we just watched your documentary. Would you be open to coming in and talking to my kids what? about your experiences? So we had one of the guys from Sicko, like one of the guys who went to Cuba where yeah. they couldn't film. Uh, <laughs> and he came in and talked to us about his experience and like, you know, shared what he could. And, uh, and then we chose a 9-11 first responder charity as our Sounds for Hope beneficiary and, and handed him a big old check. 
Uh, wow. So yeah, I remember that one very well. But yeah, my high school was totally rock and roll high school. I got into so many bands that I still love to this day through my teachers and through my other students. And like local I, you bands know, or like 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 bands. Some some big, you know, some okay. uh, some bands I was exp- like. I I got into bad brains because of high school, you know, nice. and yeah. <laughs> bad brains like problematic faves. But, you know, um, <laughs> I was like blaring, don't bother me while I'm driving through the parking <laughs> lot of Bergen Tech trying to get out of there, uh, you know, and like Elliot Smith and all that. But we had a lot of local bands in my high school. So I started I started as not the musician, but the music, the musician supporter. So you know, we had all these bands, we had Lost Blue and we had Prawn and we had Hands on the Stereo, which were all made up of, you know, boys from my high school. And I was always like mommy. I was the one photographing the shows and like <laughs> making snacks and uh, and like slipping them like 20 bucks when they were going off on tour. And that's how I kind of started my music experience. And then, of course, eventually putting on shows myself in Bergen County. Mm. Well, I mean, you are the in that situation that it, it, the scene ex- comes from the one friend or the handful of friends who are like, you got this. That's badass. Keep doing what you're doing, and like you make it possible. Like I don't think I think there's such an uh, uh, um, not enough respect given to the person that supports everyone. You know, like without that, there's nothing. You know what I mean? Like without that, it yeah. doesn't exist. I just um, talked about this with my friend Lawrence, who also has a podcast, and I was talking about how now I'm in the position where Lawrence is the musical supporter, and uh, he, you know, he dabbles with music as well. But I spent most of the podcast telling him, "Hey, you're doing the important stuff because I could be <laughs> releasing my music into a vacuum, but people like you are amplifying, you know, right, our arts." Right. So I think it's an incredibly important role. And as someone who did it, I was a music manager in college. I managed an artist. And again, I was photographing. I was doing Mm. a lot of the kind of band mommy business. I, uh, yeah, now I'm in the position where I'm the musician. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm glad I was there for them. (laughs) Like, so that skills, um, let's kind of step back. So as you're supporting and you're being with, like, you're kind of sidelining and, like, just seeing how it all works and working on like almost the business end of everything when are you like playing guitar like do you like when are you dabbling musically are you singing or like not not at at all all yeah everybody's kind of surprised like my my old friends are kind of surprised that i ever picked it up but they're like we always wanted you to be in front of the camera you were always the one behind the camera but we always didn't get why you weren't in front of the camera and now you are it only took you until 30 you old fuck (laughs) but uh you know uh yeah no i had not owned a guitar i i wrote a couple little songs like just lyrics uh and i don't even think i've ever admitted that to anyone like there's probably still a word doc in my external hard drive from 2009 and they're probably terrible lyrics but it had been a a soft dream it wasn't really a goal i had for myself which i think just everyone's wanted to be a rock star at some point well for so, sure right like yeah. that's that seems like well astronaut or rock star you know rock yeah. star whatever one's gonna pan out you know <laughs> like and then and then the egomaniacs are right. like i want to be the president so you know <laughs> you, you yeah you have those three jobs um 
Yeah, so I was not the one who was doing that. I was the the groupie and the musician supporter, uh, and I let them kind of do it. And I don't think it was anything that they were doing where they were gatekeeping. I think it was just a lot of misogyny around the area where girls were not encouraged to pick up the guitar in my area. And looking back, all of the bands that I would go see locally at every VFW show, all men. Every single one. There was not a girl bassist. There were not girl singers. In my area, it just wasn't happening. And uh, I loved music, but no one told me, hey, Tara, you can get an $80 guitar and watch a couple of YouTube videos and learn how to write a song. Right. Well, so I didn't. Yeah. So I did. (laughs) Well, I mean, um, so we're about the same age. Um, I'm 31. And like, I'm 30. Yeah, like so, like I, I don't know. I feel like we kind of hit that like age group where it's like you didn't just internet everything at first. You know what I mean? Like, so like to think like oh, all I have to do is like look up how, YouTube how to play is like a later thought, you know. And for so many yeah, I mean, kids, that's like the thing. Just yeah, if you want to play, fucking Google how to do it, and now you can do it. Like what you you know like the and when i was younger i'm like oh i gotta take lessons i gotta meet a guy you gotta go to school of rock yeah right, you gotta go right. to school of rock and <laughs> is that there do that. <laughs> you uh, we had we had a school of rock yeah. in south hackensack and i saw like trophy scars there in 2010 so yeah so, i definitely i've been there um yeah, that's another thing. Like, my little brother, who is not musical in any way, was offered guitar lessons as a kid. Yeah. But I wasn't. Mm. So, huh. you know, it's interesting. Yeah. I think it's just a weirdly gendered thing in my area. Probably not anymore. You probably have a lot of girls and non binary kids who right. are totally like, okay, yeah, because I can teach myself if I wanted to. I'm going to pick up the guitar or the piano or whatever instrument right. that strikes their interest. But it wasn't something that was presented to me at that age. Uh, the artistic kind of expressions for for young women, I think, and now this was high school was like 2005 to 2009 for me, was your more artistic visual endeavors. Hmm. Okay. Painting, photography, which I yeah. did, cooking and baking, crafts. Like, you know, now those are still things that people really love. But... Yeah, I just wasn't encouraged. I was kind of encouraged to be the musical supporter, and I was very maternal, and these guys were reaping the rewards of the efforts I was undertaking. So, of course, they didn't even think to be like, hey, Tara, come join us. They're like, oh, great. We love getting brownies after the show. <laughs> right? Well, but, like, did – was it, like, almost – I don't know. Not – I don't want – was it – it wasn't like to a point where it was kind of like taken advantage of, right? No, okay, God, no, okay. no. My boys, like, I <laughs> had wonderful, wonderful bands around me, people I'm still good friends with. And, you know, if I still run into anyone I ran a show with, they're like, oh, my God, you were the best at this. You were so good at it. And they're very happy that I'm I'm doing it now because a lot of them, in turn, have given it up, you know, bands mm. The band is broken up already because they went through 10 years together or they moved or they're married and have kids. So now I'm the one who's doing it. They're like, dude, we're proud of you. And I'm like, thanks. I'm proud of me too. (laughs) That's awesome. uh, Okay. So that like, that's really, that's, were you, I mean, I guess, you know, you see like the, 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 even like, it's like, okay, is it piano? You see like, I don't know. It seems like there is like a kind of gendered, like, oh, 
guys on guitar, girls on yeah. piano, you know, like, yeah. or not too many, not too often is it the girl behind the drum kit. But that is one thing I'm glad is like switching because it's, they're all instruments. You know what I mean? They, they, they're all, all our hands are built the same, arguably. Um, but, uh, were you writing throughout all this? A little bit. Like I said, there are a couple. I wrote maybe three I mean, songs. not music, just writing, writing oh, in general. Oh, like creative writing. Right. No, again, I started my artistic endeavors very late. I can tell you when I decided I was going to be a writer. Uh, and then I can tell you when I actually started writing. So when I was in college, I, uh, I had this very odd, like long-term mostly off but on off thing with a much older musician in philly and i remember i was interning at another company because i interned at probably 13 different music oriented businesses while i was in college wow uh yeah, a yeah. Ton, like every type of talent booking and artist publicity like every working at a venue every single thing um and I was running errands for Fame House, which is uh, a great little firm in Philly. I think they're, I think they've been acquired now, though. Uh, and I'm standing in the post office in Old City, and I get this text from this guy that I had been involved with, and he was like, "You are so funny. I don't understand why you're not up doing stand-up comedy or writing. I think what you say has meaning and resonates and you're so mature, which yes, is exactly what every 31 year old man dating a 19 year old has to tell them. Uh, you know, they're always like, you're so mature. And it's like, you're not, which is why you're dating me. But I didn't know that. I don't know that yet. Um, so yeah. So I remember him telling me this though. And I was like standing there and I can picture myself, the woman who was going to take my package had all of these prints pictures all over her desk like she had like the purple desk and I kind of looked at this message and I wish I still had it because I would have it framed on my wall and I was like yeah I should I should do something creative so keep in mind I was 19 when this happened and I did not start writing until I was maybe 23 so it still took that long where I was looking at the blank white page and it was, and you're my age, so you'll get this, you know, the SpongeBob SquarePants, like what right. I learned in boating school is, or what trying to write the big the, yeah, that yeah. big calligraphy the, like <laughs> I was SpongeBob for years. And then oh, when I was like, reference. that was on the thank, that was very thank good. Thank you, darling. <laughs> I'm always available for a SpongeBob reference. Um, yeah, eventually I started writing these micro reviews for films and TV that I had seen um, called What I Watched Wednesday. And I posted them just on my Instagram for my friends. And I actually developed quite a little following from people who were very curious to learn what I had watched during the week. Because it, it wasn't just, you know, you go in the AV club and there's all the stuff that's on now. I might have watched a movie from 1972. I might have gone to see a new movie or a TV show that got canceled in 2003. So I guess, I guess, which is always weird to say because I'm never the one to toot my own horn. But uh, I guess they were interested in my personality and that applied to what I was watching. And I would very much infuse my own opinion into these short, like 800 or fewer word reviews. You know, I would use my kind of personal slang and I was not formatting it like a typical review. And I'd, I would be very open in saying, I thought this thing sucked. Or 
I loved this and you should all watch it and thank me later. <laughs> See, that was my yeah. first writing okay. effort was, was just sort of blabbing about things I love, which I do to this day. Now I just save it for my Instagram stories. Got it. Well, okay. That, that seems like, because like, it's hard to like generate material. And, uh, like when I was trying to figure out like where, where you were coming from, like mm -hmm. I found, I saw some, uh, bits of you doing stand up, you know, on your, on your yep. Instagram. <laughs> and like, so like when you're, when you're kind of diving into that, like a uh, form of writing, that seems like such like you, there's plenty of material you get to work like jokes that are relevant to what you've just seen in a way. And even though this was like a blog, right? So it's that seems like a really good exercise to kind of like start conveying yourself like and uh, like honing in a personality like on paper. Like, yeah, I love doing those. I, I miss it. I still consider every now and again, if I've seen something that I love, I'm like, damn it, I should bring back another what I watched Wednesday just for this. But music takes up so much of my life that if I'm writing now, it's pretty much lyrics. Yeah, well, yeah, like, well, th that's a whole nother form of like, of, of writing. Um, what's what's going on with the novel? Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> please take your shoe off my neck. Um, <laughs> I <laughs> So I started writing a novel in 2018. Okay. And again, a, for a long time, that novel was me staring at a blank white page. What I learned from my several years of being an executive assistant is blank because the book is, uh, as I call it, a Me Too romantic comedy from hell. It is about an office place romance, an assistant and their boss. And it goes not just off the rails, you know, it's it's a mess. It's a nightmare. It's a horror story, really, at the end of the day. It starts off sweet, and then all of a sudden, Act 2 is like, oh, the guy was a monster, and now she's got to run for her life. Uh, so yeah, I started writing that in 2018. I eventually got the courage, and then the words just flew out of me. Uh, I had a little bit of trouble working on it during the pandemic. Yeah. You know, I want music, music just grabbed me by the throat and like did not let go. And, and that's still largely the case. But I, uh, I crashed at my parents' shore house for a couple of months last summer because I could, because I was working from home very luckily. And I wrote so much. I wrote like 60 pages in a month. And then I have not touched my novel since, but I need to maybe just get back down the shore. Well, I mean, like to, to write music is, it's it's just like throwing away a bunch of mini novels, you know. You get when you're writing lyrics or writing, yeah. you're, you're everything's like it could be it, it could not, but the next day that can be like nothing to it, you know. At least a novel kind of compounds, and you have a you have a spot. Like with uh, I feel like with lyrics, they're like lettuce in a way; they go bad right quick, or you need a whole <laughs> new bowl, you know what I mean? Like um, this is a Joe Strummer bit, but like, and I agree with it because when you're writing that stuff, like. Do you have like so like when you're 19 and you get this like encouragement just just to formulate the thought while doing all these internships and understanding like the music business and that didn't like uh, it's did, did you jump into stand up right away or were you acting because I saw you no. just posted like today that you're reading for something so like uh, uh today I'm actually I 
am not acting in that. I, I was reading because oh, this is what I do. Oh, you were just reading. Oh, I was okay, literally okay. reading the script for the Mike Myers Dieter movie, like the Dieter character uh, from uh, SNL. Shit, okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was, I was on Twitter and people were talking about white whale projects, like movies that they had heard about or were supposed to get made and never did and things that they would want to see. And someone posted the Dieter script and I am like the Mike Myers stan. <laughs> I, if I met him and I've, I've met presidents, I have met famous actors, I have met all of these people, I have made out with too many drummers. I, <laughs> if I met Mike Myers, I would burst into tears and fall to my knees. Like, I, that's just one of my guys, to quote Mark <laughs> Marin. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> so, like, who are you guys? <laughs> who are you guys? My guy is like Mike Myers. Uh, John Travolta is my fake father. Like I always joke, the <laughs> Fran Drescher is my mother and John Travolta is my father. So I would probably have an emotional response meeting the one and only Danny Zuko. And yeah, like, you know, men. And my cat Lugosi. And that's like the end of the list of my, my guys. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> uh, okay, I totally up. read that wrong. I totally read that wrong. Like I, I thought, oh, I thought you were reading for it. I'm like, and you're so all over. I'm like, I don't doubt it anymore. She does everything. <laughs> So. I always get told I always get told I should act and I'm like babies I am so dramatic <laughs> enough in my life do I need to welcome more drama but that probably means I'd be good at it um yeah and I also get told like that I look like a lot of actors I never get told that I look like a musician they're always just like oh my god you look like Kat Dennings and I'm like thank you that doesn't mean I'm gonna show you my rack but okay <laughs> thanks guys uh yeah so no I have not acted I did stand up one time which I think you saw uh your listeners can go on my Instagram and watch me do stand up I actually think I did pretty well so I do yeah. like to brag about that uh the alamo draft house in brooklyn which is one of my favorite places it's wonderful uh they do rowdy screenings where you can go you can cheer very uh rocky horror picture show energy right. for whatever movie they're showing and it was cats like the yeah. awful the awful the, cats the new one the that I wound up seeing six times because people were asking me to come over to their house and like host it. And I saw it in Philly. I saw it in New York. I hate this movie. I, I will never see it again. I can't. But Alamo asked me to host. So I showed up dressed as a slutty skimble shanks really skimble skanks uh and i did like a tight three on what you could expect from this god god awful movie uh i had so much fun doing stand-up i don't know if i will ever do it again because i like had to run through that script like 15 times at home to make sure i had it memorized right uh and it went well like yeah. my first and only stand-up set was a 150 person sold out attendance list. And so I'm like, do I need to do it again? <laughs> I kind of got everything I need from that. Kind of killed it. <laughs> like I, I kind of did. Uh, and it was all pop cultural, which was very easy for me. Like, I don't know if I could do a tight five about my own life. You know, what's the deal with all of these men updated? Like, I don't know if I could do that, but if you give me a pop culture theme, I could probably write a couple of puns about like Grease 2 or whatever you would ask me for. <laughs> uh, my bass player loves Grease 2. <laughs> it's, it's an iconic movie. Uh, Super Yaki, which is an amazing, amazing clothing line all dedicated to different movies and performers, just released a Grease 2 merchandise collection that was designed oh, by my very close friend, Courtney Lasore. So uh, 
you should send that to your bandmates. <laughs> Plugged. <laughs> Plugged. Plugged. Um, I'm I'm big on plugging because I was that I was right. that musician supporter. So I'm very like, let me shout this out to you and let me do it in a subtle way. Well, you know, when you get used to thinking like that and not not even marketing wise, when you just like are impressed with your friends and you hang out with yeah. friends that do cool things. It's just like it's not even plugging. It's just I'm t- I just got off the phone with my friend and they're doing this. Isn't that cool? You know, like I think that's such yeah. a that's such a healthy mindset in a way is like oh, all my friends are doing cool things like that. What am I doing? I'm doing something cool, hopefully, you know. Um, but like kind of so getting through all of that, like that seems like either that would be it seems like as soon as like the musician that's kind of like played the house shows and has road dogged it forever for 10 <laughs> years. Right. And like to get anywhere near like where where you've like kind of grew up in musically in the business end of things, they'd be like, that's the most soul sucking thing. Like, was it in a way it seemed like if you're diving into this now, clearly there was there's an inspiration that that is not lost from being within the business end of everything for so long. I, I mean, I had pretty good experiences yeah. in my and even if maybe if I hated them at the time, I don't really hate them now. Like I worked at the North Star Bar in Philly with Andrew Miller, who was their talent booker. So I got to kind of see how these talent deals got made for a uh, small venue and you know you know i was working and i wasn't getting paid i think i got a college credit mm. but i did get to meet max bemis so cool. that oh, yeah. i would have i would have paid for that that's max okay max <laughs> is one of my guys max <laughs> there's is more one of guys my Mark Marin there's guys. more guys yeah. <laughs> probably my my most prominent lyrical influence is Max Bemis. So, okay. you know, I got to meet him. I have a picture with him. Uh, it was freezing out and he was very gracious about it. But yeah, like I got that. I got to see some of my favorite bands for free because I was interning there. So, you know, it was a wonderful experience for me. Uh, you know, and it really, I'm the networker. I'm that connector person. So I made contacts at these places that I could still call today and probably ask for a favor if I needed yeah, advice yeah, yeah. on getting, you know, getting booked to play somewhere or, you know, insight into how this song might do, you know, if I'm pitching it to a record label. So for me, I wound up lucky because I, I came into making music knowing how to establish and maintain these relationships that are really what drives your success. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm like, I, I've my whole journey was the opposite to some degree, but I've always like found a weird way into the different things and like i'm like damn i wish i kind of like i wish i had that knowledge like i just signed up for a media course recently to like learn how to properly use internet media stuff because like i that, that that's such a far might when you when you're so focused on writing and trying to do that part right and then playing you're like ah oh, crap i gotta hit that note every time sure you know i gotta make that phrase fit and coming from a songwriting standpoint you can you get what that means but like you know, I mean, it's such like so to have that kind of like that's like that's that's prereqs to the fun part now. You know, what I mean, like I'm very envious of that. That's very cool. Like that's, that's it's almost the fun part for me. Like it, I uh, I have to say, and I will fully admit this: I have many, many friends who are musicians who are in popular bands. I am far and away the least talented of them all, and I like I am not fishing for compliments here. 
it's just the truth. I've been doing it for less time, but the one thing I have over them is that I'm very good at doing all of the networking. Right. So it it really just kind of counteracted my lack of experience and talent. Uh, and I'm better at that than I am at singing, like because I've only been singing for not even two years at this point. And uh, I... You know, yeah. and I work with more talented producers and guitar players. Like if I was playing the guitar and all my stuff, oh no, it would be a nightmare. It would be a caricature of the 1990s, you know, riot girl picking up a guitar and like she cannot hold that A7 to save her life, <laughs> let alone do a baby bar. Um, I actually, I can do a baby bar. Brag. I will say. I can Got do it. it. Yeah. Yo, can, what up, B bar. minor? <laughs> I can bar. I just have very small fingers. So barring is not the easiest thing for me in my tiny baby hands. But uh, yeah, the networking is what I'm good at. And people are like, oh my God, I can't believe that your song is taking off so well. It's like, yeah, I know how to write a good artist bio in a pitch email. That's, <laughs> yeah. how, that's how I got on that radio station in the UK, guys. Like that's that's all it is for me. Well, that's, you know, like... It it sounds you know it's easier said than done when you're like so far removed from that and like one for to be singing for two years is really impressive. I've been singing for a long time and got to halfway to being okay and like <laughs> so that don't don't put yourself down there because you're you're that's bad <laughs> that's well, badass. <laughs> um, but like uh, it, it's such it's such a different headspace to be in and like it's not the no one wants to do the homework you know. And like, I, th I think that's really cool that because once you know how to do it, like it's adapting to the medium, right? Well, okay, this medium allows 30 second videos. How do I make this work? And it's trial and error sure. or, or whatever it may be like, um, but like, I, I don't know. So that like, I, I, everyone in just the skill set to be like, I don't have to do everything. I have a friend that can play banjo. You know, it's been a skill <laughs> that I've been learning recently because I'm like, I have to learn all this shit. I, if I want a banjo track, I can call my banjo friend, but I doubt they'll show up. Um, and like, chances yeah, are, trust gonna... me. I know, I know what that's like. I've yeah. worked with a couple of producers and arrangers who have flaked the fuck out. So yeah, I. That's difficult for me. That's the most difficult part is actually getting the music made. The lyrics, right. no. Singing it, no. Actually getting the music made and mixed and engineered is the hardest thing for me and the easiest part is selling it mm. so i'm completely ass backwards <laughs> that's bad. and i know it <laughs> that's that's awesome though like i don't know like i just and I, I think i'm in the mindset now of trying to understand it like taking this course and just like the last few years like um j j grasping how things work you know like I feel like so many bands are like, we're just going to do it and people are going to pick up on what we do. And like, you got to do a little homework too. You know what I mean? Like it, there's there, it, no one just, not everyone's a Paul McCartney or a, a Beatles situation where you're just discovered, you know, like it doesn't. And they had to play in Hamburg and like, right. They hustled a lot. Gross yeah, they did. And they, I mean, they're icons for a reason. They did right. that without the internet. I got one easy break. I will tell you about my one easy break. Easy break the, number one. The first day that I put out my first single, which was the end of last October, someone found it on Bandcamp, who was a New Jersey-based DJ, and they played it on their radio station. That is the one easy break I had. They did not know who I was through Instagram. I didn't send them a pitch email. 
they literally were just looking for new New Jersey releases on Bandcamp and found it and played it on the radio station. And now that person is a contact of mine and I have a phone interview with them in a couple of weeks, but that was the one easy break I got. Everything else is required, you know, strategic online marketing and searching and reaching out to people and developing these relationships and seeing how I can be useful to them and vice versa. Right. Uh, yeah. And like, as far as like a talent, like getting just that, I guess the pick for advice as a talent, what typically do you say, like, because that, that exchange is extremely important. You know what I mean? Like, if not, the venue's got a bunch of bands that want to play here anyway. Or, you know, like, there's there's key things you got to, like, show that you ha- can give back, right? But when you're reaching out to someone like a, 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 a playlister or um, a radio station like DJ, sure. like, what do you, like, it's, I mean, with you in particular, you have other connections from interning at all these places. So I'd imagine that kind of falls into, like, your return pitch. or But... Um. Or how hmm. how do you return the favor in that situation? Sure. You know what I mean? So, like, yeah, I've luckily cultivated a pretty strong social media following. Instagram is primarily where all of my kind of leads come from, if you will. Like DJs, it's pretty much all come from Instagram. So I have a pretty strong following on there. And I guess people see that and go, oh, okay. So if she boosts our podcast to her however many thousand followers – to listen to it. And sometimes it is that much of a lizard brain situation, but also because I'm a creative person, I have a lot of creative friends. And when I meet people who are also creative, you know, we just understand each other. There's that same wavelength. And then we're just excited to boost what the other is doing. Like I'm excited to share your podcast because you're dedicated to uplifting musicians. And you were excited enough to have me on because I'm a musician and you like to talk to musicians about what they're doing and how they do it. So I appreciate the kind words. And like, I was just excited. You reached out to me. I was like, (laughs) someone cares about my thing. That's awesome. Yeah, I did it. Yeah. Yeah. And the way that I reach out to people is if I see that it's a podcast I'd like to be on or a radio station I'd like to be featured on, I just send a, Hey, you know, thank you so much for the follow or thank you for liking my post. I'd love to send you my new song. And that's it. And I don't make it too mm. thirsty. You know, I'm just like, yeah, yeah. I would like to share this with you because the worst I can say is no, which really most people don't say no. They're like, absolutely not. I don't want to hear your goddamn song. <laughs> so, you know, they're like, yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, yeah. And then if they like it, which luckily a lot of people have, I've been very lucky about that at this point. Uh, then they say, yeah, you know what? I would love to play your song. And then, for example, for the radio stations, they're like, could you record a bumper for us? Which is when I do, you know, in my very professional telemarketer voice, hi, this is Sweaty Lamar. And you're listening to blah, 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 blah. Uh, awesome. And they, they get a yeah. little something from me. It adds a little prestige to what they're doing because they're working with the artists. Uh, I found that a lot of DJs at this point really want those cultivated artist relationships because the thing they can use to bring in listenership is the ability to premiere a track. Mm. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's one thing I've been like, I don't know. So like I, I, I've not new, but new at the same time. You know what I mean? Like, and it's, it's interesting. Like it's the same with like a film and a film fest in a weird way. You know, they, the the DJ or the playlist or whatever wants to premiere that. That's a, that's interesting. I I don't know. That really kind of like, I was like, oh, okay. That makes sense because then it's unique to this source. 
Yeah, it does. I mean, radio in general, people are not listening to as much because they're using Spotify or right. whatever the hell Deezer is. I still have no idea what Deezer <laughs> is. I Deezer. see it all the time. I don't know her. <laughs> She's at the party. Deezer, but only Deezer the- <laughs> I hardly know her, you know. <laughs> <laughs> only an Instagram post. You're like, oh, shit, Deezer is there? I could have met Deezer. Yeah. I could have met the Deezer. <laughs> Yeah. So whatever Deezer, you know, they're using all these services. uh, So radio is just not getting listened to as much. But like, I think college radio is an amazing thing. It's a really amazing way for people to get involved in the music business at a young age. And to, you know, keep kids excited and going out to shows and, you know, and keeping their music interests alive and building them. Um, So I'm always very passionate about reaching out to those people in particular and something they get excited about when they talk to me and say, oh, we're going to add this to our airplay for sure is, you know, have you premiered it to anyone else yet? Can we do an exclusive? Can we do an exclusive in our country if it's not something in the U.S.? And I'm like, yes, please. That's amazing. Uh, and they get excited about that because then it brings, you know, if I post on Instagram, oh, hey, listeners in Spain. You know, you should pop onto this radio station, check out the premiere of my song. The radio station gets a few more listeners and hopefully keeps them. Right. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's that simple. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's just such a different way of like kind of approaching, just knowing that it's possible. You know what I mean? Knowing that exchange, right? Because I've been doing a lot of just reaching out to people to interview, right? And just in my own mind, like trying to pick for insight. And like um, that exchange, you know, with certain people that, that, pays off of like why would I do this what you know what I mean so like I'm always interested in like just as an artist how you do that like how do you return that favor because it makes sense if you can return a favor yeah a Snoop Dogg can be on this track because you are gonna I, you know fill in the blank I don't know like but that yeah. makes a lot of sense that's really cool I appreciate you which pre- <laughs> sorry what were you gonna say sorry I was no, gonna go say on. I appreciate the insight but oh uh, god yeah of course for you it should be as easy as hey I have a new song coming out, DJ, on this radio station. You should play it, and in turn, I'll have you on my podcast because people really – I think people really love to be asked to be on podcasts. Like, I'm always excited when I get a podcast request. I was just telling a friend of mine, like, I'm tired of telling the same story about who I wrote my first single about, and he was uh-huh. like, get get used to it because you're going to have to tell <laughs> it 300 times. But I do get excited every time someone asks me to be on one. Um, so yeah, like that's an easy exchange for you. Hey, you college radio DJ, do you want to come on a podcast and talk about how you find this music and what you're listening to? Mm. Easy exchange. Boom. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, yeah. I'm all, I'm all jacked up now. That's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) Inspiration. (laughs) Um, but yeah, like, uh, the kind of like, so I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, mm-hmm. to kind of like dive into your music because we kind of we haven't got yes, there please. yet. <laughs> like, go for it. Dive. Um, so like the pandemic happens, and like, when does writing music actually happen? Like, are you singing, playing, working on? Like, on a side note, bar chords are a hard stop for most people, and anyone that gets close or or passes bar chords should be proud of themselves for being in the in the like the the top <laughs> few like percentiles wow. because Thank you. I, as a person who teaches bar chords a lot like i've seen a lot of people not full through on them so yeah everyone who I does 
she is a is a survivor and, and a champ <laughs> in their own right. Um, I can do I can do a G minor. Oh snap! There you go. You're good. If you can do a G minor, <laughs> you're set because that's the hardest one. That's the a bit maybe an F minor is a little harder because two frets down, but that's it. Yes. Um, but so when everything's shut down, are you you're writing like uh, in this novel and you're writing all like trying stand up bits and stuff? But like um, I guess for that one focus thing, but like. When do you start writing? Yes. Are you writing lyrics or are you messing around with like melodies? Sure. So here's what happened. I feel like I'm like going through like Monk at the end where he's like, here's what happened. Here's how they killed his <laughs> wife or whatever. Um, I was writing my novel. I was writing a lot before the pandemic started. And then I ha literally woke up at 3 a.m. one morning. It might have been like March 15th, like right when the pandemic started. And I woke up and I had these lyrics in my head and I grabbed my cell phone and I sent an email to myself and I thought, hmm, I don't know what I'd be doing with lyrics. Maybe I will write a short story about musicians. And I had this whole idea in my head about um, two musicians, like a guy and a girl who dated and then would break up because of band power dynamics, but they would keep writing these songs about each other and weave back in and out of each other's lives. And I was very seriously considering doing this until I opened my mouth, my big mouth, and sung the song out loud. And immediately I was cursed. And I've been <laughs> cursed ever since because I said, oh, fuck, I guess I have to make this song. And now, again, this is me who didn't even own a guitar, who had not sung outside of doing Billy Joel's You May Be Right at karaoke a bunch of times, had no musical performance experience of my own. I did a play in the eighth grade. I did my school musical in the eighth grade. That's literally it for performing music in front of people outside of karaoke. And luckily with karaoke, everyone is drunk except me. So, you know, they're, they're drunk. They don't remember if it sounded good or bad. They probably think it sounded great. But uh, yeah, so I, I immediately messaged a good friend of mine and I said, how the hell do I make this song? How the hell do I learn how to sing? And he put me in touch with the great Chelsea Freelander, who has been my voice teacher this whole time. She's uh, an opera singer. She's our age. She's wonderful. And I started working with her from home once a week. We actually uh, did not meet in person until like last Christmas, where I went and surprised her at a... Uh, you know, at a performance she was giving of Handel's Messiah. And she like saw me in the audience and like screamed. It was very cute. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I started working with her right away. I bought an $89 blue guitar, like an acoustic right. and just started watching a bunch of YouTube videos. Uh, the first song I learned was uh, the Buffalo Springfield. Was it for what it's worth? You know, okay. Stop it, this yeah. And what's that yeah. That one. Cause it's Two a chords. and E. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That done next one so i yeah so i started doing a bunch of those little songs uh oh i mean if you have the two quarters like three is a magic number from schoolhouse rock and i learned a couple <laughs> of those songs and uh yeah taught myself guitar for the first like six months i was playing taught myself a uh, Sil silver lining by rilo kiley which is one of my favorite songs of all time and i did cry when i played it through for the first time i was like oh my god i'm making music uh and then i just started writing I could not stop writing. I'd be up at three in the morning, every morning after working 
13, 14 hour days from home. I would stay up. So I would have that like alone time to just write. And I probably the first year of the pandemic wrote 40 songs. Wow. That's lyrically though. Yeah. Yeah. I was not arranging. I could tell you what they sounded like. I could do the vocal melody and I had the lyrics, but because my guitar, I was spending more time on my voice because that's the one thing I knew I'd have to do myself. Right. Guitar, someone else could play guitar or piano or drums, but I was the only one who could sing for myself because I'm not J-Lo hiring Ashanti to do it and pretending it's me. So, uh, <laughs> although by all means, if I, if I could hire someone to sing for me, I not think a bad. I would at this point. Yeah. I would do it or I would just give my songs to people and be a songwriter and I would probably be just as happy as I am now because that's my favorite part is writing those lyrics and constructing those vocal melodies. But yeah, I wrote an album. Uh, it was going to be a concept album about my time uh, that I spent in Philadelphia because I went there for college. I lived there for four years. And I had kind of painted Philly in the album as a boyfriend or a romantic partner. And the narrative that I was gave was, you know, I love Philly, but Philly hasn't always loved me back because I've had a lot of traumatic experiences there while I lived there. And I had to take my space from it. And I kind of had to forgive the city for what I experienced there. And that was my first album. Uh, And I was working on that until last summer when I pretty much scrapped it and started anew. Hmm. Yeah. And like, and that was, that's just writing it, right? This wasn't, nothing was like recorded for this first album or were there demos? Yeah, I had... It was a it was a producer situation. I'd started working with one producer who then moved out of state, which did not make it easy during a pandemic, you know, or yeah. ever. <laughs> and then I started working with another producer. Um, and it just, you know, it the album took a really, really long time because I had a full-time job. The producer had a full-time job. The musicians I wanted to work with had full-time jobs. And it just wasn't getting done. And last year was the worst year of my life anyway. And so in the summer, I just had this moment where I was like, nope, we are throwing out this album. The album is taking long because the person who inspired it is dysfunctional. So the album is dysfunctional. And I had this whole like histrionic thing where I I didn't throw out the album, but there is stuff that's recorded that might not see the light of day to this day. I really do hope though, that I'm able to go back and revisit some of those songs some of them i'm glad i did not put out because i just don't think they're as good as they could be but there's some that i i still think are really really special and to this day i find myself singing along to in the car when to kind of touch upon like the, the just being in the mindset when you said i would be happy just to be like a songwriter and have someone else do it i think that's such a mature like such a like you like you have to go through an emotion like a certain emotional like workout to be to be to be strong enough to let something like that happen and be fully supportive of it as if it was someone else in the scene that you were backing like that's such a strong mindset and strong emotional like um security you have within yourself to let that happen like that that's cool as fuck like that's that's a skill set to definitely be proud of cuz like that's oh, not some, that's not something that's easily achieved. A lot of people like a lot of, and maybe I'm talking about me, but like, um, you know, that's such a, 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 a that's a feat within itself just to be in that mindset of it. 
So now, um, fuck Philly. No, um, <laughs> <laughs> but when you're the, the kind of dive into it, when you're writing, when you're spending all night writing these melodies, do you start with like a scenario? Like, are you, what's kind of the process for you? Are you like kind of just like vomiting up things about a topic <laughs> And like picking what becomes musical and then making a melody and writing that I out? Or guess. is it like melody in the head that it evolves into like um, a narrative? No, it's it's definitely the lyrics come first and then I kind of right. have to work on a melody that makes sense. Sometimes it happens right away, obviously, okay. as, as a lot of music does. Sometimes it somehow comes together like magic. But for me, so many of my songs are inspired by conversations I have with people where, you know, I have a conversation with an ex-boyfriend or I have a conversation with a friend of mine or I'm watching a movie and all of a sudden I just hear a phrase, a phrase jumps out, something jumps out. And I think, hmm, that's an interesting concept to dive into. And usually I will immediately email myself the line that comes to me. And at this point, I have a bank of probably a thousand lines that didn't make it into songs that I can, you know, pull up in a Google Doc and say, oh, you know what? That was a really clever little turn of phrase. I can drop that into this song that I've built out more. Uh, so yeah, sometimes it's a conversation. I always say that every relationship I've had, because I write a lot about love and romance, um, every partner I've had is basically a sheet of glass. And I drop that sheet of glass to the floor and sometimes it just cracks in half and I have two songs, two concepts to explore within that relationship. And then other times it shatters into 65 pieces. And from one relationship, and it could be somebody I was involved with for three days in 2012, but if they said 65 clever things, I can turn those little thoughts into songs. Um, there was a guy I was seeing, I'll give you one example, and he had said to me, your mind moves in wild ways. He was like, following your conversations is always this exciting challenge because you're not afraid to drop a reference to, you know, a movie you saw that was filmed in 1962. Like, yeah, and I don't. I do not diminish my my pop culture prowess when I'm talking to people. Um, <laughs> and he said, your mind moves in wild ways. And immediately I was like, I'm going to be putting this into a song. And eventually it became this song about how I personally uh, like work myself down to the, you know, like down to nubs being clever and enticing and charming and emotionally available for men, or at least, you know, did in the past, um, for it to then just burn out. And then I'm kind of left alone with these inside jokes that, you know, we created. Uh, and that song is like one of my favorites. I'm working on getting it made now, but it's called The Dancer. So it's about how I'm spinning myself to keep charming and keep interesting and keep their attention. And it eventually these people don't work out. Uh, one of the lyrics is, you know, I make myself wonderful for all of these bright nothings. Mm. And uh, making myself wonderful is something I, I ripped from Carrie Fisher's uh, biography that little phrase or no, it's one of her other books, but it was, I made myself wonderful for him. And I've always thought about that line and that it found its way into a song. That's such an elegant way to kind of put that. That's cool. That's really yeah. cool. And that, well, it's interesting. I, I was just talking with, um, uh, this band charming disaster. 
Are you familiar with great them? name? Um, I don't know them. Okay. Classic like 2003 name, which right. is great. You would think I'm into like that. Screamo, but they're they're like this kind of goth duo, and they do the, this folk cool. music, and it's really really neat. And, okay. Um, we they do this thing called the Bushwick Book Club, where this it's in New York, and like they uh they read a book and then they write a song about it, and they get together and they perform it. And um, oh, she I love would, that. Right? Isn't that really cool? I That's bet great. You, I gotta I, do that. You got no. What you gotta do is like, let me tell you what you gotta do. No, um, <laughs> you gotta do one with your films, like, cause yeah. that would be. Ri- I feel like that's like right up your out. That that can bring back what you watched on Wednesday. <laughs> you have no idea. I wrote a song about. I watched. Uh, do you know? Have you ever seen Joe versus the volcano? I have not, but that sounds like an amazing film. Okay. It is a Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan movie. It is one of my favorite, favorite, favorite movies of all time. I watched it by myself on my 30th birthday. I was down the shore and I had like a John Patrick Shanley, like Moonstruck and Joe versus the Volcano. And then inexplicably, The Beautician and the Beast, the Fran Drescher, Timothy Dalton rom-com. But I watched Joe versus the Volcano and I completely fell in love with it. And I wound up writing a whole song from Meg Ryan's character's perspective. That's awesome. So I've done this before. Yeah, that's how much I love that movie. You can never go wrong casting Dan Hedaya in anything. <laughs> but <laughs> see, again, not afraid to whip out the references. But yeah, I would love to do that. I, uh, I've had a lot of ideas for writing songs about different movies or different kind of phenomena that has nothing to do with me and my own personal story because I'm kind of tired of having to conceal who I'm writing these songs about to be right. honest with you. Yeah, well <laughs> very yeah, tired. Yeah, well you know it, it cuz like I feel like in that way it's a little more freeing in a way to really kind of freshly engage in this perspective. Um the bit I was going to bring with that Bushwick Club thing, the the t- the nugget from our conversation was like, "Oh, you want to try to find the shiny thing. You want to be like the crow and try to pick the shiny thing out of out of whatever it is. And if it's like mm-hmm. in a conversation where someone says you think in wild ways, or if it's like the, in my mind, it's kind of like the Dewey Cox moment. Have you ever seen that film? Oh God. Yes, yeah. of course. I have. Walk hard. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> Dewey, you better not be writing a song right now. <laughs> like, I constantly, constantly say, and it's the weirdest thing to pull from this, but I constantly say the wrong son died. It weirdly <laughs> comes up in so many scenarios. Uh, if totally... I'm seeing a movie, I'm just like the wrong son died. Like I, I've done that. Probably five times this month, to be honest with you. I do refer, wrong kid died. Like, yes. I say that a lot, too. It's fucked up. It's not an, it's not an okay the thing unless you get the reference. Like, wait, yes. what? Or I, I've been halved is another one I enjoy. Oh, God, yeah. Wait, uh, okay, so tell me, what it, where are we learning from Dewey Cox besides a bunch um, of one-liners? It's besides a bunch of, th- that, that's what matters, is the one-liner. The one-liner is the song seed yeah. that eventually plants the tree of, or or that you everyone can learn without a sense of smell. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> there's, <laughs> you've been smell blind. I don't know. I don't know what we're learning <laughs> from Dewey Cox. <laughs> but I think, I think that moment that, the spoken like when you're talking with someone and the thing that someone just says that you're really engaged in within a conversation can be a profound thought-provoking moment i think maybe that's the grander lesson from this right like uh during a conversation with someone at a gas station they say this weird turn of phrase which is how you 
for here on out, like think about, I don't know, p- p- pigeons, whatever it may be. Sure. But, you know, I think that's, I think of anything, I think it's to be ready to kind of capture those fireflies of, of yes. nuggets. hundred percent. Right. So I think that's the grander lesson. Um, but <laughs> it's also super funny. <laughs> Yeah, that happened to me. That just happened to me. I just went to a play. I had no idea what the play was going to entail. I went with a friend of mine. And at the beginning, there were two people standing in the middle of the black box and they were singing things that people had handed in on note cards. I think the first question was describe the last time you had been touched, which I said, disappointed. And the second was, what was a question that you would want to answer? And so these people, and these two had beautiful voices and they were singing of one of, I guess, the questions that someone wanted answered was, do we still get to love each other when we're dead? Which folds me over. And I immediately, I turn, you know, because I like to turn off my phone when I'm in a theater to be respectful, respectful, but I immediately turn back my phone and I sent myself an email like, Tara, make this into something, uh, which I probably will. I'm working on you know and it's been very hard to even get to the point of but i want to write eventually a concept album about my grandmother who passed last year and i think that lyric is perfect yeah. for that story so i'm uh i immediately was like oh my god i have to steal this i'm so sorry to whoever's idea this was but it's mine now you will not find me and sue me sorry that's 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 the mystery that gets solved in mysteries like <laughs> <laughs> that's the tie-in to what you just put out now. Hey, <laughs> yes. Yeah, that song is very much uh, inspired by my gram. And that was, I was shocked that it came that easily. Uh, other stuff I want to write about her and her life it d- it just has not come easily. You know, I, I right. can't touch it yet. I might not ever be able to touch it because that was my my favorite person in the world. But I'm hoping someday I get to touch it because I would love to tell her story. It deserves to be told. So. Right. That's I think and like it's so it's I don't know like because I've been uh, there's been I've been around a lot of loss lately and like um, I don't know how lately that is for you but I'm sorry for that that there's no like thank you you know there's no and there's I I don't know there's no even right way to, to even say I'm sorry but you know the condolence thing yeah. is such a weird place to be in but like uh, sure and I've had these kind of concept like I, I I get I'll get a melody vague me- a ghost melody in my head a ghost mm-hmm. progression and like a lyrical concept that's uh, and that's when I'm trying to like it has to hit all three checks so I can keep going vaguely and like that with some of these songs like trying to tell someone's story in a way like I've been kind of stuck there too so and like I don't don't know it's it's a tricky thing to be in because like when you're telling someone else's story it's a little I like I try to write every other day and I don't care if it's anything I just want to write. That's great. And that's, that's, and I put an hour in and I have no expectations. That's been my like routine. That's for fantastic. A while. And like, Do you, can I, sorry. Can I ask you, I want to ask you a question. Sure. What is your split between writing abstract and conceptually about, okay, I want to talk about this concept of breakups or this concept of, uh, getting too drunk one night or whatever it is. Um, and then what, balance you know what in balance do you use like personal stories and personal narratives and personal specifics in your own songwriting i had more recently been trying but it depends on like depends on like the the kind of like like what i'll do is i'll sit with like 
either a, a song seed, right? Like a Dewey Cox moment, like duh, mm-hmm. duh. Um, the shiny thing. I'll, I'll focus on that and try to, to make that into a narrative, but only based on like a chord progression I come up with in a melody. So I'll really harp in mm-hmm. and like hyper focus on a verse and a chorus. And like um, sometimes I will just like, I kind of riff things. I'll riff a melody and then try to make that fit that song scene narrative. So like if it's like a, interesting, so that way I have like a form, I have my canvas and now I'll try to make the words build into the bit where it's trying to go. Uh, if it, even if it's the chorus huh. line or if it's like an end tail lyric, um, because I'm much more of a, I started on guitar. That's my comfort. Sure. Like, I don't need to worry if I'm hitting a G, I know I'm playing a G here mm-hmm. for in learning the sing was like the, the like emotional lesson like where you just get pounded in the dirt you're like you accept what you hear and you try to better yourself you know what i mean it's such a kind of a hard like skill set to learn um but eventually I, th- I think i'm okay and like i will always be trying to better myself in lots of ways vocally and and great just you know trying to keep that mindset going but i i, I feel passable now i feel like fuck i wish i was able to do what i, I can do now <laughs> like 10 years ago that would be yeah, great for some of those gig opportunities but so yeah. I'll, I'll i'll write like the melody and try to f- lyrically lead it in and so when abstractness comes in is like mm-hmm. if i kind of like uh babble a lyric that sounds musically really satisfying and is vague enough to fit the narrative from a to b you know what i mean like if this line okay. is like a very vague like kind of description of a thing or definitely takes a twist from the a line you know in between like the a and b like if it's that type of rhyming scheme um sometimes that's where i'll keep more abstract things or if i just riff something and don't have any song seed like i really like what i put together here and i don't want to get rid of that yet so that's kind of where as far as like, right. Or maybe like in a more emotional context where you're like, I don't want to describe this character in a way that sounds too rhyme, dic- rhyme dictionary. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to be course. like, um, they had True a bad day. So that, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, they all in a way like then yeah. maybe like a more abstract. So that's, I guess in those type of contexts is like if musically I found that it really fit and I want to make it, I want to keep it there with the narrative or when like you need some type of thing to split that rhyme dictionary feel or just to attempt to like better enhance a metaphor before or after, I guess those would be my three scenarios for more abstract, like, um, I don't know, Pete Francis, like lyrics or, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't know. I'm trying to find a good, yeah. uh, good no, that uh, makes perfect sense. I'm the exact opposite. Like <laughs> my, mu- yeah. my music has to bend to fit my lyrics and i'm the one person i know who writes lyrics first and then has to arrange the music to fit so i get the opportunity of writing whatever story i want to tell there's actually one line on mysteries that i i hate i hate and every time i hear it i'm like oh i wish i could fast forward which is um i didn't know a lot of things he did and yeah. it just, it had to rhyme. And I was like, so mad. I was like, <laughs> why does this have to rhyme? I was so angry. And I still, every time I hear it, no one else would notice it. I bug the hell out. Yeah, no, I, um, did. <laughs> I did not notice that. 
yeah but no, now i nobody will would. <laughs> thanks thanks so much uh yeah nobody will i hate it because it's not true to the story right it doesn't feel true to the story for me and it doesn't add anything and that's where as an aspiring novelist and yes i'm making like the jerk off hand motion as i say that <laughs> The most important thing to me is writing the truth. So even the sound of the song comes second to writing the truth of what I'm trying to explore or the truth of what actually happened in my life that inspired that or the truth of the movie or other song I've heard that inspired it. Like I wrote uh, I wrote a response to Death Cab's Calf, which is mm-hmm. one of, in my opinion, the greatest songs ever made. And uh So I wrote a response to Calf, like as the woman who's getting married and it's like, I think you should come object. I've been trying to tell you that you should come object to this wedding because I don't want to get married. And even if I do, I could get divorced like right away because it's just a divorce. Just please come save me. I love you. Uh, And I didn't want to write anything in that song that didn't feel true to what had been described by the great Ben Gibbard, one of my heroes. So uh, yeah, the truth is more important. Yeah, one of my guys. Yeah, I would say, honestly, if we're looking at my guys, it's like Connor Oberst, for sure, because I for won't sure. fucking shut up in a song. And every chorus I write is different. Like, I don't repeat choruses ever to my detriment. Uh, Elliot Smith, one of my kings. Ben Gibbard, Max Bemis. Those are like, those were my high school dudes. Like, if I, I would get their names tattooed on my arm and probably would still to this day. But they they also kind of dedicate to the truth in a way to kind of continue off where you were about what you were about to land on um so for you that's that well and i feel like that that's so hard what to do when you kind of confound it to the music you know in a way like that's i think it's really cool to have like and like right i i just i just finished this book called tunesmith by jimmy webb have you read it I have not. It's a big book and a lot of pretentious talk in between. The big there's a big middle section which is just music theory and like um as a music teacher that's cool. I get that for the yeah, most part. Of course. But like for any like as far as like a songwriting technique there is it could have been like 300 pages, 400 pages slimmer. But like it's it's cool that it's here. Like it's a really good book and I I don't I recommend reading it. I don't not recommend reading it. Yeah, thank you. Um, I will definitely check that out. Um, but like uh, in this guy's approach is very similar to your approach in a way of writing the narrative first and then getting the music and adjusting it too. And oh. like, yeah, which is mind boggling to me because everyone I've talked to has been like, yeah, I wrote the music first, and you know, you know. <laughs> um, and like, I, I try not to even ask that question because usually, usually it's like, pfft, Oh, what do you do? Lyrics or music? What, 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 what am I on? What kind of podcast is this? You know what I mean? Like, who are you guys? Yeah. Is that who, what you're going to ask next? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah. <laughs> so I, 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 you know, but with certain people like who have like a substantial lyric basis, like I, I, I have to imagine they do lyrics first in some way. So and like even the people I thought do that don't do that. So like the you're the first person I've talked to that has done that. So I find it really and I've been reading this book about how to do that. So it's really intriguing. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I'm a weirdo who worked backward, like in every <laughs> regard for my music experience. I am the weirdo who worked backwards. Uh, that should be the title of one of my albums. But yeah, I I write lyrics. I write too personally. I'm trying to work on being less personal and exploring those abstract concepts like the song i mentioned about dance you know like the dancer 
and okay. you know spitting yourself out yeah. it's personal but i don't have any specifics of and then this guy called me and said these words right. meanwhile right. one of the songs on my upcoming ep is literally a phone conversation i had with an ex so like the specific quotations of this phone call have worked themselves into the song so that you know i'm trying to do that <laughs> yeah. less it just makes my life a lot easier as you can imagine less explaining right. to people and our mutual friends and to the person if they hear it yeah 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 and like i, I like they say write what you know in the beast they they tell you the exact opposite they tell you be specific because more people relate to it and i agree but there's like a i okay when you said abstract i thought you meant more like like lines that are really like oddly like weird like the, the vague I, I didn't know like you meant like like more, i like, am the walrus right yeah like i'm like that's why i thought maybe like that we, i can't do right can you do that can you do that no i can't I, do I that can't, i can't do that i would i mean <laughs> i like that would be kind of cool do you but, listen to murder by death do you know murder by death i know murder by death okay because um, they're always writing these like western epics and i'm like where did you come from that you can just write this song about a cowboy because like I don't know her. That's not my experience. I can't just write a song about like a young mom trying to escape like the like the ghettos of Poland. Like I can't right. I, like I can't just like I can't do it. Maybe someday I can. But for now, I'm like, no, I got to write about what like this this douchebag I hooked up with six years ago had to say <laughs> about, you know, while we were driving and I didn't realize he was stoned. And then I found <laughs> out he was stoned and I was like, pull, please pull over the car. We're going home. <laughs> yeah. That's well, I mean, all I really write about at this point. Well, those like those those are like narratives. Like I feel that's important too. Like I feel like I mean that's the little hag. Like that's like the, the oh these, I love little hag. Right. Like those are like the things that are so hard hitting that are from real things and like and like those you can't make up either. Like I I don't know. Like the, I look at this uh, Coheed and Cambria like in their ec epic tales that they write. Yes. You know what I mean? Like how do you? And I think with I don't know, but I think like. It's finding the personal thing within it and telling that story about the dude who's too stoned and should not be driving and putting yeah. it in a Western condo. Like, pull over his here wagon because <laughs> that horse is about to boot both of us off. Like, yeah, because I guess it's, I mean, like, it's, Claudio is telling some story of, you know, whether it's love or redemption right. or a battle. Uh, I mean, that's what that's what all sci fi is. It's just it's sci fi and fantasy. It's just taking our real moral codes and spinning them out into a world with dragons and like wolves who have breasts or whatever the hell George R. R. Martin is writing about. Um, <laughs> Twilight Zone but, in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, first of all, big, big shout out to our friend Avery and little hag. Uh, I, I took a pregnancy test from from blood. Yeah. It's like one of my favorite starting lyrics to a song of all time. I literally yeah. sing that lyric to myself all the time, even though I'm not pregnant. I've not put a pregnancy test in forever. But like I that's the perfect, perfect to me opening line. It's like, OK, first of all, people have been through that experience. Second right. of all. It's really unexpected, and it's something that could have been used as a reveal later in a song. Right, but that's where you and that's what I start. love. Right, right. It's it's such yeah, a punk that's rock Jeff hit. Tweedy. Yeah. Did you read Jeff Tweedy's book? I the did. Songwriting book. Yes. Okay. That's a good. He says that. I think about that every single time I write a song. He said, if you think you have an amazing line that you're expecting to be some kind of climactic pull, 
try to make it the first line of the song and see what erupts from it. Because if it was such a good idea, it should spawn other ideas. And I think about that advice with every single song I've ever written since the day I finished that book. That's yeah. Is that what I do that all the time. So when you started, did you shift gears from this novel? And like when you started to write songs, is that like one of the first ones you went into? Uh, In terms of the, the book? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's the only like how to make a song book that I've really read. And I took that and ran with it. So Absolutely good. ran it's with so it. Like I uh, I have a song on my EP coming out called Both Feet. And the first lyric is something that I thought I would someday put in a bridge somewhere, right. which is I, I went ape shit last night. That's the <laughs> lyric. And I said, you know what? I'm going to start that as the beginning of the song and it eventually came to I went ape shit last night but we both know I'm right which first of all rhymed perfectly sounded great in the construct of the song and then I figured out from there the next lyric is both feet in your mouth this time like I put my foot in my mouth mm-hmm. uh, oh and yeah okay all right yeah that that's... song erupted in like five minutes it truly that song start to finish maybe took me five minutes to get the lyrics out and a full chorus verse bridge everything just from that one thing that i thought would eventually be like me doing a little hag style song where it's just like i just made me go ape shit i just took it and started off the whole thing and now it's going to be on my ep that's bad that is very little hag and that's badass that's so cool that's like i that's I, i don't know that's like she's so like like punk rock in a way without being punk rock like sounding you know what i mean like Avery's very much punk rock but like I I love that this is the Avery Standville podcast yeah (laughs) let's (laughs) let's let's well I mean because as a songwriter what's interesting is like if if we take the same kind of concept like the uh this the EP song she has that it's called come have you heard that one yeah oh yeah of course I have I loved it right so like the payoff to that like is so cool like it, it becomes this dope anthem you're like yeah fuck that guy like yes come to punch him in the mouth yeah <laughs> spoiler if you haven't heard that song but um uh, <laughs> like but like can you spoil a song i, I think we just did uh yeah i guess so <laughs> the stairway to heaven doesn't go anywhere um uh <laughs> the, the, the the door song the end ends uh <laughs> I can't think of any. The Hotel California. The submarine is yellow. I'm sorry to tell you. (laughs) They eventually stop holding hands. Um, (laughs) I can't think of, like, there's got to be, like, there's story songs that are definitely spoiled. Uh, The the boy named Sue meets his dad. Um, um, Anyway. Shit. But, I mean, that's uh, that's really interesting because, like, uh, as far as, like, songwriting books, there's not too many like and that jeff tweedy one is such a simple and like it's so small it's basically a tiny book yeah and it's so impactful and like the tunesmith is the complete opposite it's a huge book uh but i feel like if you read that one you'd get nuggets out of this one um okay uh, at least out of that i don't know because i read a lot of like how does poetry work? And like, because I'm, I, I spent forever doing music. So for me, I'm, I'm coming from sure. the opposite scenario where you're coming from. Um, but so, okay. So they kind of tie it into what you're doing. Let's uh, so you have this EP coming out and it has yes. nothing to do with Philly. Um, no, thank God. It, it's, it's like a country EP. 
Yeah, so okay. it's it's not country in that uh, I grew up on Garth Brooks or anything of the sort. You grew um, up on Chris Gaines. Uh. <laughs> Inside all of us, there are two wolves, and one is Chris Gaines. Uh, <laughs> I grew up on the Beatles and the Backstreet Boys. The, you know, the two yeah, genders, if you right. will. And, uh, <laughs> and this EP came to me because so I've written at this point every single genre. I have a Carly Rae Jepsen inspired pop song, which is one of my top five favorite songs I've ever written. I haven't made it yet, but it's it's in the works. Uh, I've written like Touche Amore, dark, 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 like was it post-punk songs? Like I've written everything. And when I gave up my first album, the Philly album, I found a new producer and he and I had a phone call and I said, listen, I have 50 songs. And he said, great, but you need to pick one. Mm -hmm. If you're not making that album, you need to give me something to work with mm -hmm. and you need to sing it for me right now. And I was like, uh, oh, uh, shit. Uh. <laughs> and he was based in Nashville. Yeah. And so I was like, um, okay, I'm going to do the sequel I wrote to Jolene. And he was like, oh, that's interesting. And I sung for him, Abby, I'm Sorry I Stole Your Man, which is the lead single off my EP. And it is a, it's hard to describe. It's like very American horror story coven trailer music. That's the sound. Okay. Like a lot of boot yeah. stomps and physical chains. We actually brought chains into wow. the recording studio. Uh, yeah, because like I was like, I don't know how to make these sounds in a computer, so I'm literally going to go to Home Depot and get some chains. Um, and it's that, and it's from Jolene's perspective. And in that song, Jolene is like, oh, okay, so I stole him from you, Dolly Parton, hot, talented, sweet Dolly Parton. And I thought I was something special, and he was going to stick around for me. And like, I didn't realize that it doesn't matter how great I am or you are. The guy still hasn't changed, and he's <laughs> stepping out. Here's a spoiler alert. Spoiler. The guy winds up cheating on Jolene with somebody else, as we uh... could have all predicted. <laughs> uh, and that song was kind of my exploration of the internalized misogyny that happens when people have affairs and they're told to see these men as something to compete over. Right. Uh, and I gave that song to Van, who is one of my producers on this upcoming EP. And he was like, great. I love this. Got it back to me quickly. I fell in love with the demo we put together. And then I very luckily had like five other songs that had some kind of country feel. I had, I had listened to Gaslighter, the Chicks album, a lot when it came out. And I think that sparked something. It's one of my favorite albums of all time, even though, again, I did not grow up with country and I can't say I've ever been to a country concert. I saw Casey Musgraves open up for Harry Styles, but that's about it. <laughs> um, but Gaslighter is amazing because Natalie Maines drags her ex-husband by the teeth and by the specifics. And that's not a euphemism for balls. Like she yeah. literally just says, right. you know, I know exactly what you were doing on my boat. And you brought your mistress to my concert at the Hollywood Bowl. And she told me I'm a fan. And I said, it's great that you're a fan as long as you don't take my man. And we all laughed. Uh, but guess what? That's what happened. Uh, and she really goes into specifics. And that really liberated me to comment on my own specific stories. Uh, so I had these like five songs. And I said, okay, we can actually do an EP of this. I don't have to make it a mixed genre release, which... I wouldn't mind doing. I really think genre needs to be abolished. Like we don't all have to just make stuff that sounds the same. Right. You know, mix yeah, it up yeah. a little bit. 
even on the same release, like, okay, if you want to have one weird, you know, Euro trash pop song on this like ceremony album, go for it. Why not? It's music. We can all enjoy it. Great. But yeah. So now we have this country inspired EP coming out. I have one song that has a mix of like Mexican Spanish guitar and that kind of influence on country. But that song is also mixed with like if Radiohead got their hands on it. Okay. Uh, right. Which sounds weird. It's like sounds if you took <laughs> if you took House of Cards by Radiohead, which is one of my favorite songs of all time, and added some Spanish guitar to it, you have both feet, which I mentioned. You have Abby, which is the lead single. I have a very traditional country ballad called Dorothy No More. That's very like 2008 Taylor Swift. I have one that sounds you know, like a little honky tonk jam. And then we're thinking about adding a cover to it. And as a response to the Philly album, which was about, you know, inspired by one of the darkest, uh, darkest places I've ever entered mentally, uh, living in Philly the first four years I was there and, you know, the different things I went through. This EP is just fun. So it's been nice to just have a little fun and get to sing about stuff that feels fun to me. Uh, it's not as inspired by my own life. Some of these songs, some of them are, you know, moral quandaries I've seen okay. and I can comment on, but it's not the specifics of you called me at 3 a.m. or I went to this really fun party. And well, I mean, just like the, the idea, the concept of a response to Jolene, that's such a cool concept for a song. Because those Thank are, you. That, that like that's that's really badass and like and to be able to put your own your own relationships that you've been through within it and just own experiences within it and like it's I don't know like the with country music there's like that room for the story to be told it's like as far as like songs that are written I feel like like traditional kind of country style songwriting is where or a traditional country style music is where story and narrative really, really can shine in a very like, the, yeah. music, the music's not important at that point. It's the story. And most like people who justify country being their favorite jam, you know, is like, Oh, I just love stories. And you're like, mm -hmm. oh, okay, Luke Bryan's got you. That's, that's right. All right. <laughs> but like, yeah, yeah. I mean, different, different, so, but like I, you know, ideally a lot of people are drawn to the narrative, and that music is kind of simpler to, and that, that that's total. You know, you not even looking at like the musician himself because most of those guys shred. But like, okay, cat attack. Um, <laughs> um, hold on one second. Let me move this mouse before the cat attack gets catastrophic. Um, but you know, what I mean, Aww. like it's it's a the narrative the the music itself is allows that to be on top of it and a lot of music does but you know i don't that's i think as far as like exp, uh, like coming out as a songwriter and like that no better way to do it because you can really show the chops there and the mm -hmm. fact that it's not just straight like because when with the two yeah the two songs you have out now um yes with like i like how each one's accompanied with like the just that kind of acoustic version of it because you can kind of see where it builds up and like when you say Radiohead esque things added added to like this country jam or a, a country a style like Spanish guitar led thing, I can kind of hear that with the what you've put out already. Like that makes sense. That doesn't sound as like what, 
Like, yeah, the the Radioheadish song is the only one on this EP that I think feels sonically similar to the two songs I've released earlier. Okay, I so, think that. Right. Yo, sorry, ask say, ask so, away. No, I was gonna say. So this next batch of tunes is gonna be like uh, a completely shift, then a completely Pretty- different shift. Yeah, pretty different. Again, I've written so many genres. I think that, let's say, if I keep releasing music and, you know, five or six releases from now, you're going to find me in one of two paths primarily. Either the stuff I've released already, which is that sort of atmospheric, sad, white girl anthems like Phoebe Bridgers vibes, um, to the point where literally the person who produced both of them is Lucy Dacus's guitarist. Uh, Or... Yeah, shout out to Jacob. Or I'm going full Susie Quattro, 70s glam rock feeling, kind of a garage feel, because I have a lot of those songs written that I'm building out. And that's aesthetically how I present myself. So that makes sense. Every time people look at me and then they hear my music, they're like, you have so many skull rings for (laughs) someone who is writing these like sad, atmospheric, dreamy songs. I'm like, yeah, like I'm a little, I'm a little gutter rat at heart. I sit around and listen to like Midwest emo and Danzig. And that's, that's what I listen to at home. I'm not really listening to Julian Baker. No offense to Julian Baker. It's just not what comes up on shuffle half the time. Uh, So yeah, I'll be in one of those two pockets, but I like having some stuff that feels really different. Uh, The Dancer, which I told you about, is a very, it's very much in that rock space. It's like an Against Me or Titus Andronicus song. And in my dreams, if I was performing for people, that's the music I'd be making because that's fun to perform. It's fun to have a rock band as opposed right, to like right, right. sitting in a coffee shop and just doing the little acoustic noodling and like, oh, I got to adjust my capo. Okay, I'm like, <laughs> that's the only movement you make during the set? No. Uh, it's I on the wrong do the, one. Let me do it again. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> like, I want to do the big rock stuff. Um, <laughs> you know. You, I was going to say, do you have plans? Do you have any performance plans? I need a band. <laughs> I uh, I always say, or I've been saying, I, I got super, super, super into Danzig last year. That's like, awesome. Super. You can't go wrong. Yeah, it, took, it took me 30 years to get into Danzig, and then I did. And I was like, wait, this is a 5'3 Italian from Bergen County? We're the same person. Oh, my <laughs> God. And, like, I think my... I think one of my ex-boyfriend's dentists was like Danzig's cousin. Like that's that's what? how entwined this. Well, yeah, because like I'm from Hasbrook Heights. Danzig's from Lodi. I drove past his house pretty recently because I was going somewhere, and I was like, oh, like that's that's where Danzig grew up. I knew that because it, <laughs> it's something you point out you're when like, you're driving. Around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, sorry, I got completely wrapped up in Danzig. Oh, I always joke that it's going to be easier for me to start my Danzig cover band than it will be for me to find an actual band. And the cover band, of course, would be for no real reason at all other than just I'm a, a mess of genres and and interests. Uh, it would be called Franzig, and I would be exclusively dressed up as Fran Drescher. That's amazing. That's that's the gimmick. It's Franzig. This is my dream. This has been my dream for a year now. It's going to happen. And it's going to happen a lot easier because I could just go to like St. Vitus and pay like five 50 year old men and be like, hey, like, come here, like you get on the guitar. You go on the second guitar. You get on the drums. Don't fall in love with me. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like to make the sad, sappy stuff that I've made, I don't know. I don't know where to find someone who's like, yeah, this is what I want to play. 
because uh, largely that music is enjoyed by 17 year old girls in Iowa for the messages I get on Instagram and <laughs> it's not easy to meet up with them but I'm hoping when I unleash my kind of fun rocky songs that I can find a band and go out because yeah I would love to perform that's awesome when do you when's this EP gonna when are you gonna drop it is there gonna be a couple more singles or yeah so the two songs that have been out are not on the ep they're one-offs the one in october was supposed to be on my first album and i said i'm scrapping the album but we recorded the song so it's coming out the second one was something i wanted to do to commemorate a year of my grandmother's passing so i i wrote it real quick in january and i said you know what we're recording this and literally within the week it was recorded and then the ep i'm hoping it'll come out in april we're still working on it there's still a couple things i have to do for it and i'm getting sinus surgery this week so hopefully Mm. i am not held up in recording my final vocals uh yeah thank you can i can i ask why do you want to go into that all like that's (laughs) i guess i guess it's not it's not more personal than me talking about like who i wrote my songs about Um, okay nice (laughs) i have I, yeah, I apparently I have some polyps because I live hmm. with two cats and uh, I am slightly allergic to them, even though I refuse to stop kissing their tiny little heads. I so, 100% su- support that. And uh, <laughs> um, I have polyps I, and I have like a weird secondary sinus wall. Basically, the only way I've been able to describe this to people because I'm like, I'm gross. And it's the, truly the only way I found. I basically have like a hymen in my sinus. <laughs> that should not be there right like there's like just an extra sinus wall that should not be there and it's why i am a like perpetual mouth breather so they have to dehymenize my sinuses wow that sounds intense um well i hope that i hope that goes well and me too like i I can't imagine like i imagine it's a couple days will be like maybe sound sore throaty or like rough but i can't imagine that's gonna be like detrimental like, no, they said, said I should sound better. Yeah, because, because there's be literally going to be yeah. stuff taken out of my nose that shouldn't right. be there. So, uh, yeah, Very most cool. artists, you know, most artists are shoving cocaine up their nose. I'm <laughs> shoving stuff out of my nose. So again, getting all the old coke in out. Everything no. I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. Well, Tara, thank you so much for talking with me. Oh, this thank is, you. Uh, uh, this has been. A, I've had a real fun time chatting with you. Me um, too. 